0: awesome group, 845, time change, rainy, good job this morning, good job this morning. Uh, Some of you may be aware that uh, I spent part of the last two weeks um, traveling to Guinea-Bissau, West Africa uh, in April of 2009. Uh, In April of 2009, we prayerfully made a commitment as a church. We began praying about what would God lead us to do that could only be explained by God. We wanted to do something God-sized. And so uh, we reached out through the International Mission Board, of which we were a part of as a Southern Baptist Church. We said, hey, we want to reach out to an unreached people group. And what that means is less than 2% of that people group um, are acknowledged to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we, were, uh, we, we went through a process, and we started looking and praying, and we found ourselves drawn to the Bajadinka people of western Africa in the city and in the, in the in the in the country of Guinea-Bissau and so until then I had no idea where that is so I'll put it on a map for you this morning and so for 10 years we have been sending uh, a team to this little uh, tiny country and we have sent this was our 21st team to go to Guinea-Bissau in 10 years that's a lot of people a uh, lot a of, lot of trips yeah a uh, couple people, one person's gone 16 times. One person, two other people have gone 13 times, or three people have gone 13 times. I'm just a rookie. I've only been four times, all right? Uh, but we got this little tiny country. There's a little bit of outline of, of how that country works. We are in the far eastern part. If you see that little town called Gabu, we are another uh, two hours past there uh, in the town of Burantuma. It's too small to put on a map, all right? It's not a big big place. It's kind of like Denton, all right, Uh, but smaller, okay, you Denton folks. I am much smaller. Uh, And so it takes us, uh, we left the church on a Monday. We left about three o'clock on a Monday. We arrived there. 47 hours later um, to the town of Burentuma, just a little trip to get there. We slept in tents. We rode in planes, trains, automobiles, taxis, vans, some of the, I, I, would, I would argue, some of the worst roads in the world. We got to Burentuma, which is where I'd been before. We crossed the border into Guinea. I'd never been that far before. I thought Burentuma was the ends of the earth. No, I have now been to the ends of the earth. We went to a little village called Koutan, um in Guinea and spent most of our time there But here's what took place. Ten years ago, we knew nobody. We had no contacts, no connections, nothing. Ten years later, we pull into every one of these little villages. Burantuma, Kutan, Kamajaba, uh, Kataba, all in different countries. They all speak different languages. And there's French, and there's Portuguese, and there's Fula, and there's Bajadinka. There's all these languages, all this stuff going on. And guess what? We arrived in each of those villages. And not only did we meet friends, But we met people who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ in every one of those villages. Yeah, it's amazing. It really is amazing. These people have given their lives to Jesus Christ. And one of the things that that we have experienced is men and women uh, who have been brought up in the lives of animism, uh, a belief of mysticism almost, and Islam, uh, who have, they are begging. One of the villages that we went to, the village of Kutan, they are asking us, Several of us, this was in an elder meeting with some of their folks, they said, uh, in, in, the, in a new church building that, that we have as a church built, this is the church that's there in Kutan. it's an awesome building, and uh, we sat in there on a Sunday morning, last Sunday morning, while you were still sleeping, we sat in there and they said, these are Islamic men, 11 out of the 12 men are Islamic uh, followers, and they said, several of us have considered converting to Christianity, but we need a pastor, we want to know more. And so we are working diligently, trying to find a pastor that will go to the ends of the earth. If any of you are willing and speak French and Fula, uh, we will take applications for that, uh, resumes for that. It probably eliminates a lot of us in the room. Uh, but I just want to say thank you. I really do. I want to say thank you. Thank you for generosity to send us, uh, generosity to send teams. Thank you for your concern for people that you will never meet until we meet in heaven. Thank you for being concerned about them. Thank you for your support, not just of Guinea-Bissau teams, but all the other nations, all the other places. Thank you uh, specifically to one of our staff members, Lee Hedrick, and before that, uh, Ivan Crispin. Thank you guys for countless trips and efforts that it takes to get us to the ends of the earth, there's a lot of things that have to happen that I just didn't watch. That they they know how to do to get us these places. Uh, so later on, we'll share some video updates with you, a little bit more information with you, and an opportunity to view. We we went collectively for the purpose of videoing uh, what's taken place there in the last ten years. And sometime this summer, we're gonna have a night where we just share with you maybe an hour uh, video of what's taken place there. So we want to make sure you are aware of that. But I just want to say thank you. Because of your willingness to send and to pray and to believe, there are countless believers in eastern part of Guinea-Bissau because you have allowed us to be the hands and feet. So thank you. Um, It's an awesome opportunity to get to go and to view what God is doing. So I want to pray for us and pray for our family uh, all the way in Guinea-Bissau this morning. God, I come to you this morning. Just thank you for the opportunity to go. I thank you for opportunity to be sent from this body of believers in Thomasville, North Carolina, a town that they've never heard of in Guinea-Bissau either. They've never met the majority of these folks in this room. But God, I pray that they, one day, I thank you that one day we will stand in eternity and we will meet brothers and sisters in Christ, God, who we have never met, that we do not speak the same earthly language. But God, you will bring us together for all eternity. And we, I am so thankful for that. Thank you for allowing me to be a pastor of a church uh, that sins, that believes in, going, believes in growing people to a point of uh, maturity, to, to gather together for worship and to go into the ends of the earth. God, I just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know if you know what a wedding crasher is. Right? I had to do some research on this, a wedding crasher, by definition, wedding crasher. Right? Make sure you're hearing that correctly. A wedding crasher is someone who attends a wedding celebration without an invitation. <clears throat> I am an international wedding crasher. <laughs> Let me explain. Uh, we're, we're sitting around talking with a group of guys uh, last Saturday evening in Coton in a French uh, full of speaking country and we're sitting around and we're talking and one of the gentlemen says Hey, there's a couple of weddings going on in the village tonight Now it's 8 p.m. at this point. I didn't understand and still don't quite understand It is the norm for them to do weddings at night. Now they don't have uh, uh, Lights and power and all these great things. So it, it's in the dark, all right? It's a wedding in the dark And uh, he said, yeah, it really gets going about 10 p.m. And I said, man, I'd like to go And uh, his name's Usman, and I I said, I'd like to go. I thought that somebody else in our group or one of our translators would bite with me, uh, but nobody did. And uh, so I thought it was just a moot point. I thought he'd forget about it. Well, about 10 o'clock, he walks up into our little makeshift tent village, and Usman comes to me and says, you know, pastor, through a translator, he said, let's go. And I said, where are we going? He said, we're going to the wedding. I said, who's going with me? And chirp, chirp, chirp. So I left my tent with a flashlight and a cell phone that might work and I headed with my dear friend Usman, who's a believer, uh, out into the African bush. We walked for 25 minutes in the dark. I was terrified. My heart, I'm like, I'm racing right now. My heart was racing. I'm thinking this is not one of the smartest things I've ever done. Why are you doing this? What are you thinking? Should you like do the little snapshot thing on your cell phone and pinpoint your GPS and send this to people so they know where to find you? You know, like, if you go down, this is where you want to be found. And, and so I'm thinking and, and I'm just the, the scenarios, there, there are hundreds of them rolling around in my mind. And the reality though is this, this gentleman because of his faith, but also his standing in the community, there was not a chance anything was going to happen to me, all right? One, I was the the greatest party favor ever to show up at a wedding, all right? It's like, hey, look at this guy. He's an American at our wedding, all right? And uh, so it's 11 p.m. We get to the wedding. It's really dark. There's no ambient light. There's five hundred people, I'm not exaggerating, outside at 11 p.m. and they're all laughing and they're all talking and they're all talking a different language and I didn't have like an Acts 2 moment where all of a sudden everything started to make sense to me and and, and I'm thinking what am I doing here? At one point he sits me outside this hut and the the bride comes running by going into the house. I have no idea what that was about and and then he takes me into another hut and there's the, the bride and the groom's parents and their family and they're eating this meal and they're about to hand me a plate and I didn't know what to do except I use the one word that I think I got right in French. I said, "Usman, va. And he went, no. And I said, "Usman, me, va, which means I am getting out of here, bro. And so I just walked out of the tent, all right? I walked out of the hut. It was terrifying. It was exhilarating. It was exciting. It was probably not the smartest thing for me to have ever done in my life. So why do I share this crazy story with you from the middle of nowhere because at one point, I am sitting there, and I'm thinking, I, I, I need to leave. And I, I would have never left that point, and I would have never left that spot if I would have sat there for the rest of the night. And I, again, I was probably completely safe there, you know, and nothing was going to happen to me. But there was part of me that said, you need to get up out of this place and go back to your tent. And so about 11.15 or so, we, we made it back to our village, and, and I made the decision at that point to move. To get out. Several years ago, we began a journey as a church. Some of you may remember this, called Move. Where I challenge you to examine where you are spiritually and make a decision to move out of one place and into another. But in order for that to happen, it requires us, though terrifying, though exciting, though confronting, it allows us, and we've got to just self-examine and go, what do I need to move away from? What do I, where am I currently sitting? Where am I finding myself that is terrifying, that is broken, that is hard, that I know I've got to get out of here, that I know I've got to leave this place, that I know I can't stay in this spiritual condition anymore, that I need to move. What could happen if through God's movement and leading and the power of Jesus Christ, if everyone on this campus over the next four weeks makes some decisions, significant decisions to say, I want to move from where I currently am in some specific lies and some specific struggles. I want to move out of those and into the truth that's taught to me in Scripture. I, I want to see what happens over the next four weeks if we as a group commit to move so let's look at a couple things this morning if you have got your bibles if you turn to acts chapter one we're going to see what happens when a group of people move the book of acts is the history it's the movement of the early church At the beginning of Acts, we have a little glimpse of Jesus still with the believers. We'll see that in just a moment. But then he ascends into heaven, and the rest of the book of Acts is their history. What took place in the early church with this small group of believers that committed their lives to Jesus Christ? A couple things I want us to build this series on. Uh, A couple things I want us to build these next four weeks on and examine all the stories and all the things that we're going to walk through the next four weeks are these. Jesus came to expose the enemy. Jesus came to reveal the lies. Jesus came to elevate the truth. Over the next four weeks, if we can put this into our brain, memorize it, walk through it, Jesus came to expose the enemy. He came to reveal the lies and he came to elevate the truth. And because of that, and through that, the early church made a huge difference. Because of that, the early church believed in the message of Jesus to the point that they impacted you, and you are sitting here today because they believed the truth. They believed that this radical teacher and his message was worth putting their entire lives, their entire commitments, putting everything they had in Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 7. Jesus says to them, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. There goes Jesus. But right before he left, he gave them a mission, did he not? He said, take this message, take these truths, take what you've seen, take what you've experienced by the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to come upon you and go to your neighborhood, to your state, to your country, to the ends of the earth. Jesus gives a specific promise with a specific empowerment. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, I want you to go. I want you to see who these people are before I ask you some questions about them and about us. So at this moment, Acts chapter 1, verse 7 through 9, Jesus has commissioned them. He has launched them. He has said, your empowerment's coming. At this moment, they really had only two options. For three years, many of them have walked with, had seen the miracles of Jesus, had seen what he was doing, had watched the miracles take place, had heard him confront the lies of the enemy, had seen him step into the, the, the debates with the Pharisees, and now Jesus is taken up. They had two options. One, guys, we can go back home, we can keep our mouths shut and pretend none of this ever happened. We can. We, we, can, we can say we... we We had some great moments. We saw some incredible things. But in the end, that's a big step. To go and go and go and go. We we, we could just tuck this away and pretend it never happened. Or the option that they chose. We can take the instructions given by Jesus and we can go as followers to a specific place And wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon us. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we can take and make a decision that could be life-changing, could be career-ending. We can go to faraway lands. We can speak the message of Jesus Christ because we have seen and experienced the truth of Jesus. It's really the only options they had. We can pretend this didn't happen and separate ourselves from the movement of jesus or we can go full on into the movement they had a decision they make they had a decision to make will they move away from jesus and distance themselves from him or will they move towards the teachings of jesus and towards the empowerment of the holy spirit and will they allow themselves to be launched out into their world you and i are faced with the same two decisions you see, this commission, this calling of Acts chapter 1, verse 7 through 9, was not just for the early church. It's for all believers of all history. And we can shrink back and we say, well, you know, I, I've experienced a lot. It's been a good walk. It's been a good ride. I've seen some Jesus do some great things, but I'm really not the vocal type. Or we can say, I'm going to take Jesus at his word, and I'm going to believe that he can perform the miraculous. I'm going to believe that he can change my heart. I'm going to believe that he can change the heart of those around me. I believe that he can use me to do incredible things, and so I, I'm going to move closer to. I can move away from, or I can move closer to. There, there's no in-between. Scripture records the early church and who they became to each other. It's a beautiful picture. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has come upon them, They've begun preaching. Thousands of people are giving their lives to Christ by the day. Population there and where they currently are was increased because of some religious festivities going on. So they had a, a great crowd of people to speak to, to preach to. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, we read this about the early church. Man, I love hearing you turn your pages. It's awesome. I love hearing, I also love hearing you flip your pages on your Bible app. No, I can't hear that. Uh, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. A group of people, commissioned by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, gifted as individuals, as the body, have now gathered together, are pouring into each other, are sharing with each other, are loving each other. And what are they doing? Scripture says they're doing a couple things. They're listening to the teaching of the apostles. They're fellowshipping and spending time loving on each other. They're worshiping together. They're praying together. They're sharing together. And God moved. They committed to move away from and say, you know, I can't go back. We can't go back to where we were before Jesus ascended into heaven. We can't go back to before Jesus stepped into our lives. We've seen too much, we've experienced too much, and so they begin to live together and love on each other and care for each other and listen and grow spiritually. They begin to gather together, they begin to grow together, and they begin to go together. This is what happens when people move by the power of Jesus Christ. But here's what I want you to see. Here's what I don't see in these passages. Now see, here's what you need to understand. In this group of people were some Some specific people. One of them was a guy by the name of Peter. Some of you have heard of Peter. This guy stuck his foot in his mouth numerous times in front of Jesus. He told Jesus, Jesus says, Peter, before the day's end, you're going to deny me three times. Peter says, absolutely not. Not going to happen. By the end of the day, he does exactly that. He even lies in the face of several people about his relationship with Jesus Christ. What I don't hear in this moment, I don't hear Peter go, hey guys, I... I would love to be a part of this movement. I would love to be a part of the story of Jesus and the future of this church, but I cannot be a part of it because I had a moment of doubt. I can't be a part of the future of the church because I was skeptical and I denied Jesus. It's not there. I don't hear a guy by the name of Thomas step up and say, excuse me, uh, I, I need to just share something with y'all before y'all get going here with this whole reach the world with a mission. I need to step out because I cannot go because when Jesus appeared to the disciples which, of which I'm one, I, I doubted him and I asked him, could I see the wounds? I didn't believe him. So surely I can't be used. I love the movement, but I can't be used. I don't hear a group of fishermen. Part of these disciples, part of this group were fishermen and in this culture they were considered uneducated, unlearned men. You don't hear them in Acts chapter 2 go, hey guys, there's a footnote at the bottom of page uh, 1187 in your Bible that says, the fishermen raised their hands and says, we cannot go and be used by God because we don't have as much education as Peter. I'd love to be a part of this movement, but I cannot, we don't hear it. You don't hear the family of Jesus, who at one point, His sibling, his family, doubted the validity of his authority. You don't hear them stepping up in this moment going, hey, guys, we can't be a part of this because we had some tough moments and we had some moments where we did not quite believe who Jesus said he was. We cannot be a part of this. You didn't hear it. It's not there. It says they met together, they fellowshiped together, they worshiped together, they grew together. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit and they went. The community around the church, the community that's recorded in Acts chapter 2, history records outside of Scripture that at the same time this was happening inside of Scripture, the communities around which followers of Jesus committed their lives to Jesus and his teachings were being radically changed. They were being radically changed because they could no longer be silent. What I do read, what I do see, and what I do take heart in this passage is a group of people who radically were changed and experienced Jesus in a very real way. They watched him expose the enemy, they watched him confront the lies, and they watched him elevate the truth. They saw him at every turn, whether it was the Pharisees, whether it was the other religious groups, whether it was with them as the disciples. They committed to move, even with their past fears, even with their doubts, even with their struggles. But you know this, when we're captivated by lies, we're ineffective in our calling. That's why I pointed out what we didn't see here. They, if they would have been captivated by their, their lies in the past and what had been a part of their lives, then they wouldn't have made any, st- any progress. They would have never stepped outside of this house and gone, man, let's tell people about Jesus. No, we can't. But when we stand in the truth, we're empowered to move. So for the remainder of March, I want to ask you to consider doing something with me. We were flying back. I was trying to study and trying to read and trying to pray for you guys. and I want to ask you, I'm going to put a, a couple phrases here on the screen, and I want to read through those and walk through those and talk through those for the next few minutes. I commit to move away from the lie that I, and I'll finish that in just a moment, I commit to move toward the truth that God's word promises, blank, by the power of Jesus Christ. Let me explain. I commit to move away from the lie that I cannot offer much to the body of Christ because I'm too old, I'm too used up, I'm too broken, I have too many blemishes, I have too many faults in my past. I cannot be used. I commit to move away from the lie that I cannot study God's Word at the same level as my pastor or this superhero Christian that I know. I, I, I cannot be a student of God's Word because I'm not where they are. It's a lie. You realize it's a lie. I I commit to move away from the lie that I cannot be as good as. Name the person. Name the scenario. Name the person that we're comparing ourselves to. I I cannot, I am no longer going to live in that lie. I commit to move away the lie that I cannot forgive. I'm going to make a commitment to move away from the lie that I cannot forgive. from something painful in your childhood, from a relationship. The enemy has continued to captivate your heart and your soul and your mind because you believe the lie. I'll I'll never forgive them. I'll never relinquish that. I commit to move away from the lie that I cannot control my obsessive habit. Eating, smartphone, workaholic, whatever it might be. I, I commit... To move away from the lie that I cannot move past my obsessive habit. I commit to move away from the lie that I cannot move forward emotionally because of some pain in the past. That's half, all right? It's a big half. I commit to move away from the lie that I cannot, that I could not, that I should not, that whatever it is, I can't fill that in for you. But I commit to move toward the truth that God's word promises victory. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's victory. You say, I want to commit to the truth and the promises of victory by the power of Jesus Christ. John 16, says that Christ came to overcome the world the Jesus that we should said, you know, makes the darkness tremble, that Jesus, he gives victory. I want to commit to living in that truth and that promise of God's word. I commit towards the truth that God's word promises freedom by the power of Jesus Christ. You are bound and you are wrapped up in a sinful pattern. Galatians 5 says you can move forward in freedom. I commit to move towards the truth that God's word promises even demands reconciliation mending of broken relationships by the power of Jesus Christ 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 11-21 talks about how powerful and victorious this is I commit to move forward to the truth of God's word that promises me a future hope by the power of Jesus Christ Psalm 31-24 says be strong and take courage I have a hope. I have a future. I commit towards the truth that God's word promises salvation by the power of Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you can be saved. So if we can, if we can take a look at this this morning. I want you to just for a few seconds I want you to look at that sentence I want you to think about your life I want to think where you are spiritually and you say man there's there's a lie that is keeping me captivated from moving spiritually I don't think I can study the word I don't think I can pray I haven't been taught how I I can never do I commit to move away from the lie that I And I commit to move towards the truth that God's word promises hope, reconciliation, victory, freedom. We'll look at a lot of those over the next few weeks. It's time for us to commit to move. Every so often, we need to take some steps collectively, but also individually knowing there's some other folks walking through this journey with you, you may not know them, you may not have conversations, but that some of them are walking through the same journey with you can be incredibly helpful, powerful. So what lie are you choosing to believe? What lie has been guiding you in your decisions? What lie has been keeping you from moving? You're sitting in darkness. You know you need to move. You know the enemy is lying to you. You know the power and the conviction. And it's time to move. I truly believe that these next four weeks together can be some of the most powerful weeks in the life of our church. If we will commit together to say, I am going to move away from the lie. And I'm going to move towards the truth. So this morning as we have our time of worship, I want to ask you just to commit that statement. In the worship guide this morning, it's in there for you. I'm going to give you some other instructions as we continue on the service this morning. You you may want to come this morning alone by yourself and come up here and commit this to the Lord this month. You may want to pray with me or one of the other folks that may be standing up here this morning and say, I am committing to move away from the lie that I cannot, that I should not, that I will not, and I'm going to move towards the truth. Because I want to be a part of something powerful. I want to be a part of something that collectively changes the community around it. And we will not be as effective as we can be if we're captivated by lies.